Nigeria, the campus of World Outreach for All Nations. And for those of you joining us uh, online, we welcome you. Thank you for allowing us to come to your space. We thank God for you, and we pray that something that will be said today will be a blessing to you to establish you and to cause you to continue to flourish in the courts of the Lord our God. And once again, our vision here at WorkFan is building strong families and serving global communities. And so, Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. We bless your name for your word. Thank you for your unction. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you, Lord God, that the hearts of your people are turned to you. We look to you. We thank you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Okay, so this morning I'm going to dive very quickly into the message. As you all know, if you've been on this planet Earth, uh, we just went through a very hardly contested election that's creating a lot of contentions and all kinds of debates and arguments. And uh, so for, uh, I just want to give us uh, some biblical guidelines so that you don't have to fall out with your father, your mother, your brothers, your sister, your wives, so you guys don't have to have a fist fight with this Thanksgiving coming, you don't have to throw a talking leg at someone that you said something you don't like or something you disagree with. We need to learn to disagree agreeably. So the issue this morning, the message this morning, the title will be Differing Viewpoints, Not Enemies. We may have differing viewpoints, but we are not enemies. Now, different viewpoints often lead to arguments, but they don't have to and should not have to be so. Our different life experiences lead to unique perceptions, opinions, and beliefs. And sometimes these unique life experiences drive our viewpoints. We can't expect that people will always see eye to eye with us all of the time. We have to learn, particularly in this season, to respectfully disagree. Now, the Bible encourages us to avoid arguments that generate strife. So let me go to the scripture this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 23 and 24. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Okay, let me, while well, we're trying to get that on the screen. Oh, here we go. Thank you. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Now, this is what I find out about this debate sometimes. Sometimes we debate things that we have very little knowledge of. We have a superficial idea of what we're talking about, but we don't really have the facts. And we take the incomplete facts to a debate ground and begin to argue. Bible says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Be sure when you want to talk about something, some subject, that you are not ignorant about it. Don't, don't be deceived by the little knowledge you have to make an expert in that subject matter, okay? But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Verse 24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, ah, <laughs> but be gentle to all, able to teach and being patient. So, we, we, so, so the Bible is giving us very clear directions on how to debate, how to uh, uh, have agreeable, disagreeing moments. 
But the point here is that we should not allow any of the conversations we get into to engender or lead to strife. Now, Galatians chapter 5 in verse 20, we don't need to turn to that. It lists contention as one of the negative works of the flesh. So what that means is that you and I should not allow ourselves to be driven into any conversation or any debate, any argument that's going to end up in strife. Amen? Now, the Bible offers advice for how to disagree without being disagreeable. And this is what I really like about the Word of God. There is nothing that's happening to us that the Word of God has not addressed. If we just take the time to ask God and seek his wisdom and seek his face, the answer is in the book. Amen? So go with me now to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, I'm going to look at, um, we can begin to read from verse 2. Genesis 13 verse 2. Now I want to look here at the model of Abraham and Lot. Okay? Genesis 13 verse 2. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. It'd be wonderful if before you start debating and arguing, you call upon the name of the Lord first. <laughs> that might help set the tone so you don't get into the flesh. Verse 5. Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now pay attention. Pay attention. Verse 6. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Verse 7, here we go. And there was strife, that's that word again, strife. What the Bible says you and I should endeavor to avoid. Here we are, in the scriptures, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsman of love's livestock, full stop. Now, pay attention to this last sentence in this verse 7. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Huh. I wonder why God would put that sentence there. What's that got to do with the strife that's in the, uh, between Abraham and, and Lot? Let's read on. Verse 8. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Last verse, verse 9. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So here in this passage, we have a model of a potential strife situation between brothers. And I don't have to tell you about what's happening right now in our country, in our nation. The division, the factions, the contention, the strife between 
ministers, between believers, between believers and unbelievers, all around us is strife, is contention, is debates and arguments that leads to nothing but ungodly behavior. The scripture is helping you and I to understand the model. How do you deal with strife? Number one, in Genesis chapter 13, in verses 6 and 7, Abraham quickly identified the potential for the strife. Abraham called Lot and said, Lot, you know what? I see what's going on around here. My headsmen and your headsmen, they're having a few things, a few debates, arguments. There's a potential for strife. Let's call it out for what it is. Amen? First thing, you have to identify the reason or what's causing or generating the dispute or the strife. Number two, give me that Genesis 13 verse 7 again, please. Number two, let me go back to Genesis chapter 13 verse 7. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Full stop. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And this is important for us. Every child of God that's hearing and listening to me today, you need to hear this. We must not allow the result of an election or the hotly debated passion that we have on either side to cause you and I to forget our call. We are not called to be a Democrat or a Republican. We are called to be children of the Most High God, and we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Which means we've been placed in this nation or whatever nation you are listening in, God has placed you there to be a light that shines in darkness and a salt that disinfects or arrest moral decay. You and I cannot be the light and the salt if we are part of the problem. Abraham recognized that any strife between him and Lot or between the, the herdsmen is a potential disqualifier to minister to the people to whom they are sent. The Canaanites and the Perizzites. Give me that scripture again. Put it there. Just put it there. Thank God for the cross, but give me the scripture. Thank you. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the line. In other words, hey, with all that's going on around us, the Republicans and the Democrats and all the in-between and all the fight and all the argument, don't forget that there's an, a dying, Christless, unbelieving world that's watching you. And if you lose your voice, you will not be able to be a witness to them. The church has to be careful. We have to be careful. There's neither of these parties that represent everything that God wants. Where can, where can we just agree on that? Let's confirm and, 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 and commend what's good about one and the other. Both of them have some good things about them. But rather than being torn into an argument and debate that poisons the atmosphere, that becomes to toxic, and that disables us from being a witness. We need to get away from that. 
Abraham said, wait, 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 wait. There's strife here. But not only that, Lord, remember, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, to whom we have been sent, they are watching us. They are taking their cues from us. We don't want to fight one another and not be able to be effective witness. Number three, in this model, number three. Abraham appeals to Lot. <laughs> it was Abraham who identified the problem and who called and said, Lord, listen, listen, I'm going to appeal to you. Listen, listen. Don't let this thing get out of hand, okay? So what we're going to do is this. Lord, you just take whatever you want. And what's left and what you don't take, I will take. Wow. The burden for tolerance is on the more spiritual. Are you guys didn't hear me? The more spiritual in any debate, in any argument, in any disagreement, whoever perceives themselves to be spiritual is the one that should carry the most burden. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. He said, if a brother be overtaken in the fault, you that is spiritual, you who says you are tongue-talking, you love Jesus, you have been born again, your Holy Ghost filled, you that is spiritual, the Bible says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. In other words, you are not rubbing it down their nose. Oh, look at this man. Look at this woman. Look at what they did. No. Your goal at all times is to gain your brother or your sister, not to lose them, not, never to lose them. So Abraham appeals to Lot, and in appealing to him, he recognized that the call of God upon his life trumps winning the debate. Two or three of, two or, two or three of you got that one. Abraham realized that the call of God upon his life Trumps winning the debate. And that's what you and I must recognize. So after you've won the debate, so what? You won the debate, but you've lost your call. So what? Number four. Let me move quickly here. Number four. Abraham de-escalates the tension by creating physical space. It de-escalates. Listen, you and I, we, we are sensitive. We know what's going on. You, you in a conversation, in a debate, you, you see where it's going. You can perceive it. You can see, you can, you can hear the tone rising. You can, you can see the agitation is coming up. You know, you know what's next. Why did you continue to throw petrol or gasoline on a potentially inflammable situation? When the tone is rising, when the agitation is increasing, that's when you should use common sense to de-escalate. It's time to de-escalate. So what did Abraham do? He said, wait, 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 Lord. No, we don't need to go there. We don't want to lose our witness to the Canaanites. You know what? I'm going to go to the left, you go to the right. Whatever. Just let's do something. Create space. So for me and you today, we may not be, to, we may not be able to physically create space but we can create what we call safe harbor. Safe harbor. Give the other person the room to save face in a nice way 
so you can de-escalate the situation. Create a safe harbor. Safe harbor. Amen? And number five in this model, number five in this model, let's go to Genesis 14 verse 14. Genesis 14 verse 14. Genesis 14 verse 14. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes, we may have different opinions, but we're not enemies. Absolutely not. Look at what happened. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own home and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Oh, my God. What is this? This is a demonstration that even though there was a potential for strife between Abraham and Lot, there was no love lost between them. There was no love lost between them. What Abraham did in his separation was not because he hated Lot or because he didn't like him anymore or because he was against him. No, he simply de-escalated so that they can maintain their witness. But in Genesis 14, when he heard that Lot was being threatened, what did Abraham do? Is he doing what some of us would do today? Ah, it's, it's in the blue state. Let him, let him die. Oh, it's in the red state. Let him sink. No, he didn't do that. When he heard that Lord was in trouble, he got his trained servants in his house and went after the enemy because he recognized that they were still brothers. He went and defended him. Would you defend a man or a woman in the blue state? Or the right state? Or will you just say, let them perish? Thank you, Jesus. So now, uh, let me just tell us very quickly what the Bible tells us on how to disagree agreeably. I've shown you the Abraham pattern. Now let me speak directly to us on how to disagree agreeably. Number one, choose your battles wisely. Every conversation or every debate is not meant for you to get involved in. I watch, uh, I look at the app, uh, you know, we have all these chat groups. Uh, there are some people there that's just a constant. Once something posted, oh, they have to respond. And the thing, if you are not careful, spirals out of control. So you have to choose your battles. Proverbs 26, let's go there. Verse 4 and 5. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also... I can't read that fast. Thank you. <laughs> Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. When a pig is fighting a pig, both of them are going to get in the mud. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, unless he be wise in his own eyes. So number one, choose your battles. Number two, be gracious. Be gracious. Abraham assumed the, rest, the, the secondary position when it came to choosing the territory. But he assumed the primary position when it came to shouldering responsibility. In the passage we just read in Genesis 13, 
He gave Lot the first choice, and he became secondary when it came to choosing. He said, Lot, choose. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. He gave him the first option. That's being gracious. Amen? Number three. Ah, let me give you a scripture for that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Yeah, let, let's, let's go to the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I therefore, the, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. You hear that? The calling with which you are called. How shall I do it? How shall I walk within the, within the, uh, worthy of the calling that, that, that I have? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's exactly what Abraham did. That's good enough. So number one, you choose your battles. Number two, you be gracious. Number three, you listen more and talk less. Proverbs 1.5. Proverbs 1.5. You listen more and talk less. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Also, you have James 1.19. I will not go to that. It talks about being swift to hear and slow to speak. Amen? So you listen more and you'll be surprised how much more you will learn about the other position when you listen. Number four. Ah, this one is big. Think before you speak. <laughs> Many of us have been known to speak before we think. <laughs> and we know where that landed us. Think before you speak. Number five, this is a biggie. This is a biggie. Number five, look for common ground. Look for common ground. Remember what Abraham said to Lot in Genesis 13, 8b. Genesis 13, verse 8, the B part. He said to him, he reminded him. Okay, let me read it. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Look at that last phrase. For we are brethren. That's common ground. You may have a different position on this issue. You may, you may be a red state while I'm a blue state. You may have a totally different point of view. But at the end of the day, if we are believers, we are still brothers or sisters. Amen? So that's a common ground. That's a rallying point. So whatever the discussion you are engaged in, and I know this is going to happen because Thanksgiving is coming, around that dinner table, don't let someone throw that turkey sauce on your face because you're arguing and just carrying on, okay? Remember, look for common ground. And lastly, act in humility. Act in humility. Notice Abraham's deference in that whole conversation of Genesis 13. Notice his deference. He at no time blamed Lot for what was happening. He didn't. He addressed the issue, but not the person. At no time did he put any blame on Lot in person. Now, let me just close by giving us a compelling vision. 
a compelling vision on leading with kingdom values. I want to close with giving us a compelling vision on leading with kingdom values, following the example that Jesus set. First of all, may I remind you, in spite of this election that just happened, that Jesus is still in charge. Jesus was never voted out. He's in charge now. He'll be in charge in four years' time. He'll be in charge in the next four years after that. He'll be in charge in the four years after that. After He's always going to be in charge. Okay? So whether you're red or blue, Jesus is in charge. Now, with this compelling vision on how to lead with kingdom values, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 in verse 3. Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. So, actually I can start from verse 2. Verse 2 says, Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Verse 3 says, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebedeus, and whose son it was. Okay, good. Verse 3 is what I'm looking at. Among these names, and we read these passages, but some of these things do not really resonate or, rec- or, or really make sense to us until times like this. In this verse 3, one of these disciples is called Matthew, the tax collector. Well, we say that to you today, you are in Lawrenceville, Georgia, you are in London, England, you are in where? Benin City, Nigeria, whatever you may be. You just read over that. Well, let me just tell you about Matthew, the tax collector. He collected taxes for a government who opposed their faith and Judaism. This is a Jewish man working for the Roman government. And he was collecting tax on on behalf of a government who opposed the very faith he was in and Judaism itself. Let let, Let me just let that hang for a second. And then let me go to Luke chapter 6, verse 15. Give me Luke 6, 15. Just keep that in mind about Matthew. Luke 6, 15. Thank you, Jesus. Luke 6, 15. Thank you. So again, we have a, another listing of the disciples. This is from Luke's perspective now. It named Matthew, which we read about in Matthew 10, 3, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. Ah. Simon the Zealot. Who was the Zealot? Who are the Zealots? The Zealots were a political party. In Jesus' day and time, that believed that the people of faith should not pay taxes to Rome. One person got it so far. 
is Jesus our Lord and Savior. He prays before he chose his disciples. And he intentionally went out and picked 12 men. And of these 12 men, we have two of them in diametrically opposite spectrums of the political realm of the day. If we will, a red state man and a blue state man, both of their wives in his inner circle. And at no time in the three years that they were together, did we hear any bickering among them? At no time in the three years that they were together, did we hear of any contention between Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. They both stood side by side to serve and to minister for three years and beyond. Jesus, our pattern son, our example, intentionally brought this into his fold. Why are we so divided over political issues? Especially the church. Who came out of the loins of Jesus that should have the mind of God, the spirit of God? Why are we so broken down partisan lines of red and blue? Dems and Republicans. I submit to you, you don't know the kingdom of God yet. That's the problem. Because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, he has called us out of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. He's called us out of that into his kingdom. Because when we see from his perspective, yes, we may disagree. Yes, we may have different views. But it should never be enough to separate us. Because what brings us together is much more powerful than the different opinions we have. If Jesus can have these two men in his cabinet, so to speak, in his inner circle, read about them. Read about Matthew. Can you imagine that? Collecting taxes for Rome? The Romans that the Jews hated with passion. And yet Jesus welcomed them. And then you have Simon the Zealot who in our day and time will be considered an ultra-conservative. And yet Jesus said, you have a place as well. So I welcome, I welcome my red state brothers and sisters, and I welcome my blue state brothers and sisters. You are welcome in the kingdom. Just put on your kingdom perspective and lay aside all these differences. And don't allow our debates and disagreements to get into strife area. It's not worth it. Don't lose your call over a political issue. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. We're going to continue on next week. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for the incredible example you've given us through your son, Jesus. As the savior of the world, he had a largeness of heart and the divine perception to be inclusive, to embrace diversity, to have a big umbrella that had enough room for everyone. 
without allowing those differing views to cause us to be an enemy of your kingdom or enemy of one another. And so, Lord, I pray that same spirit upon us that we lay aside this harsh rhetoric that has been so aired all over the radio and TV and social media that's pitting us against one another and not allowing us to focus on kingdom principles and fight our common enemy, the devil. And so, Lord, I thank you for deliverance for all of your children, that through the power of the blood of Jesus, we refocus and we look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. But for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, and is now sitting at the right hand of the throne. So, Father, thank you for helping us to have a reawakening in our mindset. To see as you see, and not just as men see. And yes, I know some are elated about the results of this election, and we thank God for them. And those who are disappointed, Lord, I thank you that you remind them that we are just four years away from a potential change. This is not perpetual. It is not everlasting. It is only a moment in time. And so, God, help us to be mindful of the hope that's set before us. And so, Lord, we bless you, we honor you. We praise you, Lord God, as we pray for our government and all of those who are in decision-making uh, 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 capacities. God, that they have the mind of God, the thoughts and feelings and the purposes of your heart in this day and time. We honor you, we bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.